everybody. I'm Gary Ebersol. Richard Kipling here. And I'm Randy Schultz. Welcome to Camp Codger, a podcast for people in their golden years. Join us to hear rocking chair wisdom from three old guys. Society is constantly telling us that younger is better and aging is a bad thing. On today's show, we will be talking with Carl Honore, author of a book called Boulder, Making the Most of Our Longer Lives. Carl will be sharing a different view of getting older, a much bolder approach to aging that involves optimism, joy, and vigor. But first, Richard is going to tell us about the Codger of the Week. Richard? Talk about bolder and inspiring. A month or so ago, Maureen Moe Kornfeld set yet another world swimming record. She broke the 100 to 104-year age group time in the 50-yard freestyle. She's been breaking freestyle and backstroke records for decades, ever since the L.A. resident took up swimming at age 60. That, by the way, was 40 years ago. Mo says she pays little attention to her times for these records, or really how many records she holds. She just enjoys the moments of swimming and she loves interacting with the other people she meets at the various competitions. She gets special joy from the act of swimming, especially the backstroke, she says, because, as she told the LA Times, she can just, quote, look up and see the sky and the trees and the hills. As one of her mentors told the Times, not only is she always ahead of her competition in the water, but she also bests everyone when it comes to attitude. In 2018, Kornfeld was inducted into the International Masters Swimming Hall of Fame. Her reaction? Hey, how is your life? What are you up to? Mo is always more interested in others than in her own accomplishments. Where does that come from? Well, she grew up in Montana, fell in love with learning, and attended the University of Chicago, where she earned a bachelor's, then a master's in social work. The ethic of the field attending to others, is infused in her approach to life. Among other things, it's made her the most popular swimmer of the senior set. Many have taken to calling her simply the queen. I'm not sure when her next meet is, but Mo, all the codgers will certainly be rooting for the queen to continue setting records. Mo is our codger of the week. Thanks, Richard. Our special guest today is Carl Honoré. Carl is a journalist who lives in London, and he gained international fame almost two decades ago with his best-selling book called In Praise of Slow, about slowing down the pace of contemporary society. But today we're going to talk to Carl about his latest book called Boulder, Making the Most of Our Longer Lives, which advocates for a new way to look at what's possible and permissible in our golden years. Carl Honoré, welcome to Camp Codger. Hey, welcome. Thank you very much. I am thrilled to be here. Well, we're dying to talk to you because your book is really fascinating. And of course, as you might have guessed, we are all in our golden years here. (laughs) (laughs) So we're interested in, in what someone like you has to say about aging. Let's face it, we're aging every day, all of us. We're living longer and better lives than at any time in human history. So what do you think is the central myth today about aging? I think the central myth about aging is that 
is that it's all bad. The narrative that we are constantly bombarded with is that aging is a downward spiral, that after a certain age, everything in our lives gets worse, right? We become less productive, less creative, less fun, less attractive, less curious, you know, just less ourselves. <laughs> and it, it tells a, a chamber of horrors view of later life, which I think weighs all of us down, not just those of us who are already there in later life, but even younger people, because just think of it, if the society is telling you that you're going to fall off a cliff at 35 or 40, what does that do to your 20s, right? It piles on immense <laughs> pressure to get it all, get it all done, hit all the milestones, because it's game over by 33, right? It's not mm. game over by 33. That's the point here, right? That any age can be wonderful. Every age has its pros and cons, but it's really about embracing whatever age you are and making the most of that time. There are upsides to aging. I know you've explored oh, some yeah. of that in your in your TED Talk video. Uh, what do you suggest are some of the positive things about aging? Well, the one that really struck me, because when I began my whole journey of investigating aging and trying to understand my own aversion, horror at the idea of growing older, was that I was carrying around what I think is one of the most common myths about aging, which is that later life is depressing. So if you think of the words that we use to describe older people, it's sad, cranky, crotchety, grumpy, right? <laughs> but, but, but that's actually untrue. <laughs> Human beings follow what's called a U-shaped happiness curve, where we start out high in childhood, fall steadily till we bottom out in middle age, and then we bounce right back up again. So the adults that report the highest levels of life satisfaction are the over 55s. Do, do you remember Pete Townsend, mm -hmm. right? The um, guitarist from The Who. He's a perfect example of this. Back in his early 20s, he wrote a song called My Generation, which includes perhaps the most ageist line in the pop music canon. Do, do you remember it? It was, hope I die before I get old. <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> you know, that's, exactly. like that, is, that is ageism. Yeah. That is the cult of youth on steroids. But Pete Townsend got into his 60s, turned around and said, you know what, man? I am way happier now today than I ever was when I wrote those lines back in my 20s. So that's, there, there is a happiness dividend waiting there if only we had our minds open enough to embrace it. And, and you know, there, there are a lot of theories on why this is. One of them is the happy grandparent theory, right, that our distant ancestors out on the savannah were always going to have better chances of survival if the grandparents were glass half full upbeat kinds of people yeah. rather than glass half empty downbeat types. Because if you've got mm -hmm. a grandparent sitting in the corner of the cave moaning about a sore knee and saying that life was better 20 years ago, that holds the tribe back, right? But if you've got someone who <laughs> yeah. sees the upside, you know, <laughs> going to be tougher to get the woolly mastodon. <laughs> exactly. You've got an evolutionary advantage, right? To take down that saber toothed tiger. So this, you know, it's, it's coded into our primate genes because they found a similar U-shaped happiness curve in chimpanzees, bonobos, and orangutans. And I think one of the reasons that we do find we get happier in later life is that as we get into the second half, and I think anyone over the age of 40 will realize and, and recognize this, is that we start to feel less beholden to other people's opinions and less pressure to tiptoe around their expectations. Mm -hmm. you, you, Anne Landers, you know, the, the, the legendary agony aunt once said, at 20, we worry about what others think of us. At 40, we stop worrying about what others think of us. And at 60, we realize they were never thinking of us at all. <laughs> which, <laughs> which, <laughs> which I think kind of, kind of gets, it gets at that sense of uh, lightness or freedom that comes upon us in the second half of our lives where we just feel that, you know, we, we know who we are, we know what we want, mm -hmm. and we know how to go out there and get it. And, and what's not to like about that? That's something to look forward to in later life, not to, to dread. <laughs> 
That's all true. But if we're on the upside of that curve of happiness and contentedness, why is it that we have so many problems with ageism in our society? Why, if individually we feel like things are on the up, why does the society continue to repress or suppress older people? That's a, I mean, there's, that's a complex hairball of factors involved there. I think some of them are, are, are biological, right? There's a natural attraction to fertility, youth, right? We're mm-hmm. driven to propagate the species. So naturally, mm-hmm. we're going to be more attracted to physical youth, you know, your young bodies and young faces. So that stacks up against those of us in the second half of our lives, obviously. I think also in the modern world where we created uh, kind of, you know, productivity driven capitalist society that's all about consumerism, that puts a premium on the new. Everything has to be new next season, right? So it takes away, it undermines the very uh, the value of seasoned, old, mature. That's that's something for the garbage dump, right? Or the garage sale. It's something, it's yesterday's style. And I, so I think there's a kind of cultural push as well. You, you can write a whole thesis on why we got here, but you're obviously right to put your finger on it. We are in this weird position where we are now living better for longer than ever before. This extraordinary demographic bounty is stretching out before us. And yet our cultural ideas about aging are failing to keep pace. So we're in this weird paradox moment where actually it's never been a better time in human p- history to grow older. And yet, have we ever felt worse about aging? <laughs> this is a you know, strange disconnect. But even we ourselves as older people are participants in ageism. I remember as a manager, as a 60-something-year-old manager, I preferred younger candidates to older candidates. I think that societal push on us to think young is maybe the major issue that we're facing today for as older people. I think it is. And it is, it is so ubiquitous. And, and the, the thing that mm-hmm. makes ageism hard to take down is that it's the victims of ageism who are also the perpetrators, <laughs> as you've just exactly. said. Exactly. We're often our worst enemies. You know, we'll, yes. you know, our tongue, our tongue will be in our cheek. We're pulling off a little self-deprecation move. But if we mislay our keys, it's a senior moment. You know, I've, I've been mislaying my keys since I was 12 years old. I only started calling it a senior moment when I got into my 40s. So we're always turning things around, rotating the 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 the, the, the lens so that we so the aging is at fault for everything. This is why I think one of the main reasons we find it so hard to take ageism down is that it's so ingrained in all of us at every age to play that game, to use that language that locks us into those grim downbeat stereotypes. That's the bad news. The good news is I do think it's changing. I think the dial is moving and I think it's even moved pretty sharply in the last six to eight months. I think that if you looked on social media and a lot of the initiatives that people are doing around calling out ageism, uh, changing the visual landscape, like Martha Stewart appeared as a swimsuit model on the cover of a magazine the other day at the age of 81. I mean, these things would not even have been on the radar as possible 10 years ago, even two years ago, and yet they're happening. So the tectonic plates are shifting in a way that makes it possible and permissible, not only to age, but to feel good about aging. But there are a lot of terms that we use, like you said, senior moment. And in fact, this is sort of a confessional moment. I mean, we called this podcast Camp Codger. Codger is a word that we used to refer to an old, crotchety old man, right? And Mm -hmm. when we named the podcast, we did it very tongue-in-cheek because we want to prove that, hey, not all old people 
are old codgers and we still have a lot of life and a lot of humor left in us. Did we somehow contribute to this whole ageism thing by calling this podcast Camp Codger? <laughs> you know, I don't think it's a binary yes or no on that. I think possibly at some level, maybe by putting that word out mm. there as a thing, but I can, I totally get the the humor and the trying to turn things around. And so I think on balance, no, <laughs> I think balance you're okay with the title, but, but there, I think there's probably some element of that. And in fact, a moment ago, one of you was described something as a codger moment when describing a tech, uh, a tech glitch. So, so it's things like that. I think when we just drop those phrases in that mean that we are reinforcing the myth that aging is all about decline. I, I was listening to a, a a radio interview just this morning about, uh, I live in the UK, so it was about politics, elections in this country. And one of the journalists was talking about the big election in 1992 in the UK. And at one point he said, uh, so in 1992, and then he paused and said, I, I'm, I'm really showing my age here. In 1992, mm. the polls said this. And I thought, whoa. Did he really just say that? Because what did he mean when he said that? He was, what you say when you say, I'm really showing my age is, I'm older, I feel bad about it, <laughs> ashamed, and so I need to I need to put it out there that, so that you know that I know I'm ashamed and I'm older, and we just kind of deal with it that way. So it's, it's those little reflex phrases that just pop out of our mouths, sometimes with self-deprecating humor, other times just like default settings. We season and pepper our conversations with them because we are so marinated in our own ageism <laughs> that we end up doing. And the thing about ageism, of course, is that, and this is the other thing I found most extraordinary in the research, is that buying into the cult of youth, accepting and swallowing all these ageist tropes about ages, aging being a downward spiral is a self-fulfilling prophecy, which means that if you do believe that aging is going to be bad, you're increasing the chances that it will. You know, you're increasing your chances of developing cognitive and physical decline, developing dementia, and even dying younger, up to seven and a half years younger. So just think about that for a moment. Buying into the cult of youth is pushing you towards leaving up to seven and a half years of life on the table. It's just mind-boggling. <laughs> Ageism is the ultimate act of self-harm, right? We're harming other people by playing out those phrases and tossing them out willy-nilly, but we're also harming ourselves. That's interesting. I think what you're calling out is the language of aging, a big part of the problem, but we also are lacking alternatives. I think as we go through this process, and it's a transition, I think we all change. When I was your age, I was 20 years ago, I'm 74 now, I resisted aging. I really did, mm -hmm. and I, I fought it. I was running marathons, riding my bike on century rides. CEO of a small Silicon Valley startup. Well, what's happened 20 years later is that the reality of biology is here. I can't run as fast. I can't do as much as I used to, but I don't have the language that lets me use the terminology that says, I'm still here. I'm still active. I've come to using more frequently the Zen term, allowing aging, which... Mm -hmm. You don't have to embrace it. You don't have to make some sort of silly statement how wonderful it is to get old. But by the same token, you don't have to fight it. Is allowing giving up or is allowing a way mm. to to kind of yeah, I like be that. in the groove? I like that because you're yeah, you're you're neither chafing against nor mindlessly putting on a pedestal. <laughs> you're you're falling somewhere in the messy middle. 
which is what human life is all about, right? You know, there's yeah. never, never ne- nothing is ever sharply yes, no, black, white. Right. There's always many shades of gray. So if, I think if you find the right form of words and language that situates you somewhere in that, I was going to say uncomfortable middle, but it's just more of a kind of liminal space, right? I think that's where we want to be. And and you're, you're absolutely right that we're at the moment in this transitional phase as we take the first steps towards redefining aging for the 21st century. We don't have the language yet. You know, we're yeah. still groping around for it. And I see I see people coming up with new terms and coining new phrases all the time. And some I think, hmm, that's not going to last more than six weeks. Others you think, <laughs> well, maybe, we'll see. Come back in six months, possibly. Who knows what phrase will replace senior moment? Maybe it's going to be, I don't know, goldfish moment, right? You know, you know which, some, which, is, which is something, a, a kind of memory glitch that you can have at any age because the goldfish just takes right. it away from, from chronological aid. Language is a fun thing to play with. I, I, I really don't want to put on a language police hat and start calling people out and canceling them. For, no, I mean, we're human beings. We're fallible. We're going to put our foot in it. That's just life, right? But I think if we start off right. trying to re- or realizing that much of this language is freighted, loaded with toxic ageism that backfires on us, then that mm-hmm. that's a, that's already something. And then we can start coming up with our own language, our own ways of describing how we feel about growing older and how we see ourselves in the world as older people. Carl, what are your thoughts about intergenerational communication? I still teach a class. The kids I teach, the young people I teach, they weren't even born before 9-11, much less anything earlier. It's such a gap in our experience and our knowledge of the world. How do you finesse that? Well, I tell you what, I think the future is multi-generational, flat out. The past was multi-generational too. I mean, throughout human history, people of different generations mixed. That's what human yes. beings have always done. They they mixed and mingled in the fields and the markets and the home and the streets. That was just what it was. And that brought a music and a magic to it as people shared their different experiences across the generations. And and I certainly don't subscribe to the the model of the, the wise older person handing tablets of stone down because I think any generation can learn from any other. And it's actually... You know, diversity is a buzzword in the business community for a reason, because the richer mix you have of people who come to the party, the richer the party is going to be, right? whether it's for solving problems or coming up with new ways of creating art or being together and, and being joyful. The more diverse you have uh, people sitting around the table contributing, the better. The trouble, of course, is in the modern world, we've ended up in these age silos, which started right. with... Mm-hmm. schooling right in the, in the 19th century what happens with schools you get locked into an age cohort that we're all born within the same year and then we kind of carry on like that so if you're cut off from people of diff- different generations what happens that the, the, the gap in knowledge of other people allows stereotypes to to fill that space so i always feel like the first one of the first steps to taking down the ageist industrial complex is mixing up the generations again getting people talking arguing debating, falling in love, you know, falling out of love, making friendships across those generational divides. And I think that will be immensely enriching for society, for us individually, but for society as a whole, from the workplace to education and beyond. So I think maybe your question was originally, how do we breach that? You know, I think sometimes it's enough just to get people into the same physical space, right? Get them, invite people to help plant a community garden who are of different ages, get people together to 
you know, clean up litter in their in their community. And I've done all of these types of things. And there is a kind of alchemy that occurs. You know, at first mm. you see people from different generations turning up. They tend to maybe gather in their own little groups at first. They That's cluster. Right. But then but then it starts to break down, right? If you if you create a make the world flat, right? You don't have a hierarchy where an older person is writing the show. You have everybody on the same footing. And then you roll up your sleeves and everybody's doing the same thing together. Pretty quickly you realize that birth dates don't matter. What matters is the person who's rolled up their sleeves and is doing the thing beside you. And this person here is going to light you up, this one less, and it's going to be less about age and more about the content of their character. Thanks for joining us for the first of our two-part conversation with Carl Honoré, author of the book, Boulder, Making the Most of Our Longer Lives. Carl will be back with us next week when we discuss ageism and what we can do to live bolder lives. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Camp Cadre in your favorite podcast app or sign up on our website. As always, we would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at campcodger at gmail.com, post a comment at www.campcodger.com, or leave a voicemail at 505-216-6171. <laughs>